Hi there, welcome to the Neurodivergent Magic Podcast. I'm your host, Megan Griffith, and I am so excited to have you here. On this podcast, we talk about all forms of neurodivergence, from ADHD to learning disorders to giftedness to autism and more. If any of that sounds familiar, welcome to Neurodivergent Magic. Hello there, guys, gals, and non-binary pals, and welcome back to another episode of the Neurodivergent Magic Podcast. Today, I am bringing you a very amazing and special interview with Erica, who is a dietitian who specializes in intuitive eating and works with a lot of neurodivergent folks, and hint, she suspects that she might be neurodivergent herself. So... If that sounds up your alley, you have got to give this interview a listen, and fair warning, my two-year-old does make a bit of an appearance and uh, can be heard making some background noises, Uh, so I apologize in advance for that, but I promise you the interview is worth the distraction, so uh, without any further ado, here it is. How are you doing? Hi, Megan. I'm great. How are you? I am super excited for this conversation because I think the overlap between neurodivergence and food is fascinating and so important. And I think we need to have more conversations about it, which is why I am so, so glad that we found each other and we're going to have this conversation. Yes, me too. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Of course. Yeah. So for everybody listening, uh, Erica is a dietitian and intuitive eating coach, which is fantastic. Um, I, I love everything about that. And, um, specifically a lot of your clients tend to be neurodivergent. Is that right? Yes. I, I found, um, as I started my specialty in binge eating, I did attract a lot of folks who are neurodivergent, particularly ADHDers. And there is absolutely an overlap between binge eating and ADHD. And also, uh, many neurodivergent folks fall on the spectrum of disordered eating and eating disorders. Yeah. Okay. So let's break it down. Let's talk about ADHD and binge eating because that's really fascinating that those go together. How, how do those go together? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a number of reasons why um, many ADHDers struggle with binge eating. And some of the clients that come to me um, may maybe have gotten a late diagnosis or have done self-diagnosis, which I know that you um, promote. And I think that's such a wonderful thing. And so many people who struggle with binge eating believe that there's something wrong with them. They believe that they lack willpower, that it's their fault that they haven't been able to stick to the diet or eat in the quote, like healthy way that they want to. And um, what it, I always explain to my clients that binge eating actually has nothing to do with a lack of willpower. Um, And so there's a number of reasons why ADHDers may struggle with binge eating. Um, One reason that I see in folks has to do with medication. So certain medications um, like Ritalin, for example, tend to dull hunger cues. So folks may not realize that they're hungry and then may um, spend, you know, not eat enough during the day. And then as the medication wears off at night, that's when the binge hits or that's when they start to feel a wave of hunger. So that's, that's one particular example. Um, another reason could be hyper-focusing. So uh, many neurodivergent folks and ADHDers are great at like focusing on a task, particular, particularly something that's of interest and of, to, of them, interest to them. So what that can lead to is time blindness. So you may, may lose track of time. And then before um, you know it, you're, you look at some food and you feel like you wanna eat everything in sight. 
And I think many people then look at that as, oh, like I lack willpower, like I messed up, but it's actually just the body trying to make up for lost time and trying to make sure that um, you're getting enough energy. Yeah, all of that makes so much sense. (laughs) And I'm so glad that you brought up the medication because this is a very medication neutral podcast. It's wonderful for some people. I'm personally on medication and I found it to be really helpful, not ADHD medication, but medication for my depression and everything. Um, and, but I also know for other people, it's just absolutely not worth the side effects or that's just not what, how they want to deal with things. And that's completely fine as well. Um, so I'm really glad that you brought up the fact that this can be a problem for medication because so often I think we are prescribed these things without really being told how it might affect us in all these different ways, partially because it affects every aspect of your life. So like no one can explain all of the possible ramifications, but I think it would be really helpful when uh, getting an ADHD diagnosis and talking about ADHD medication to say like, Hey, do you have a history of like disordered eating? Like, because this could impact how you eat. And I just, I need you to know that upfront. And I feel like that doesn't happen very often. Yes, absolutely. A hundred percent agree with you. And for many people, medications are life-saving and they, you know, really help are, you know, so impactful. And so I absolutely agree with you. I think it's definitely on an individual basis. And I think what you said is so important because so many people may not realize that their hunger cues are being dulled and blunted by certain medications. So they may not realize that they're, they're hungry or they're waiting for those hunger cues to kick in. Um, So a lot of the work that I do with clients in particularly if they're on medications that are affecting their hunger cues is working out a schedule on when to eat and kind of figuring out other ways to make sure that they're getting their nutrition needs met without just relying on hunger cues. That's really interesting. How else do you know when to eat if you're not just relying on when you're hungry? Yeah, that's such a great question. And, you know, whether you're on medication or not, actually, when you're in this binge restrict cycle, your hunger cues are going to be thrown off anyway. So, um, so for anyone listening, if you feel like you're trying to eat when you're hungry and stop when you're full, and it's like, really confusing, you, you feel like you don't know, actually, when you're hungry, and you're constantly eating past fullness, it's actually a physiological explanation for that and that your hormones are all kind of out of whack when you're in this diet binge cycle. So, um, so the first step a lot of times is getting a consistent eating pattern and that, you know, it sounds simple, but it can actually be very challenging because there's so many barriers that interfere with our ability to nourish our bodies, whether that's a busy schedule, whether that's certain rules or beliefs that we have about food and what's healthy, what we should or shouldn't be eating. So when I first start working with folks, a lot of times we're working on how to find that consistent eating pattern, making sure that we're getting energy coming in to the body every few hours. Um, and yeah, and then gradually working on incorporating maybe more variety and more foods, but the kind of like that foundation that's so important is just getting enough energy because without getting enough energy, you're going to have a lot of negative side effects, whether that's constantly thinking about food or not being able, um, having even more difficulty focusing and concentrating on things, low energy, fatigue, overwhelm. So it sounds maybe a little bit simple, but eating every few hours and working on getting those basic energy needs met can make a huge difference. 
Oh my goodness. Yes. I love that. That's so like affirming for me to hear, to be honest, because I've always been the kind of person that needs to eat every couple of hours. Like I, I love the three meals a day and everything, but I also need snacks. (laughs) Like I'm a snacker. I just need them. And like, I, this is a little off topic, but like I grew up Catholic and there are certain days in the Catholic year, you're supposed to fast. And oh my gosh, did I struggle with that? Like, and I understand why we did it. Like there are religious reasons and all that stuff, but like, oof, it, I, it always felt like it affected me more than it affected other people. And like, as a neurodivergent person who, you know, relies on food to get dopamine in a lot of ways, um, you know, like it, it makes more and more sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that's helpful to hear. And I think there's so much messaging that we receive um, and we learn to feel shame about eating. We learn to feel shame about eating every few hours when really that's the way that our bodies thrive. Um, I, one thing I always tell my clients is that your brain cannot store energy. And so it, it needs a consistent supply of energy throughout the day, not just once a day or twice a day, but multiple times per day. Otherwise it does start to shut down. It does start to be more difficult to focus and to process information and to think clearly. So yeah, I think you're so right in that there is this, you know, like element of shame of being, of needing to eat every few hours when really that's what we need to thrive. Absolutely. Okay. So we've talked a little bit about ADHD and binge eating and everything, but I'm also curious about autism and ARFID. So could you maybe, I know ARFID is not the only difficulty that autistic folks can have with food, but it's a big one. So could you maybe explain what ARFID is for people who might not know? Yes, absolutely. So um, ARFID is an eating disorder that um, many people are unaware of. And I think when folks, um, I, I've worked with some of folks who as adults have gotten an ARFID diagnosis and it brought them a tremendous amount of relief because they, for so long, were walking around with this belief that something was wrong with them. They were labeled as a picky eater. Um, they have memories in childhood of being like forced to eat foods that felt um, really like overstimulating for them and like really overwhelming. And so on, on top of that, there's also this element of shame that they're carrying around of like, why can't I just eat normally like everybody else? Um, so yeah, so there is a big overlap with um, autism and ARFID. And one of the, I think the, the reasons for that is um, many people who have ARFID have sensory sensitivities to certain foods. So certain flavors and textures can feel overwhelming. Um, And so many for people who are um, caregivers or other like health providers who are not aware of ARFID, they may try to force the child to um, eat foods, you know, in a way that that is triggering the nervous system and in an overwhelming negative way. So one of the um, interventions for ARFID is to work with a specialist in this area. So including a therapist who specializes in ARFID, a dietitian um, as well, and to create like a hierarchy of foods and to to slowly gradually increase um, in more variety. And there's ways to go about this that is not going to, um, you know, create more shame. And because that's something that so many folks with ARFID are are carrying around and actually releasing that shame can be really helpful to expanding their palate. 
Yeah, absolutely. Because it's one thing to say, like, I'm a big proponent of like autistic traits need to be accommodated, not like cured or gotten rid of. Right. But that being said, sometimes if you live with ARFID, you're not getting the nutrition that you need and you're not, Mm -hmm. um, you know, like, I know you are so great about talking about like, there's not good and bad foods. Like there's just food, which is amazing and so helpful, but you know, we do need certain nutrients throughout the day in order to give our brain that power that it needs and everything. And a lot of folks with ARFID, I think struggle with focus and stuff like that because, um, the food that they're eating is not bad. It's not bad at all. It's still energy. It's still what they need, but it's, you know, maybe not as helpful as some other foods might be. Yeah. And Does that so, sound right. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there are some, um, harmful approaches to our fit. So like one harmful approach in, in my opinion would be, um, some folks, who are autistic have had actually their safe foods and comfort foods taken away from them and have been then as a, as a way to try to like force them to eat more vegetables or more of those fear foods. And I don't approve of that approach because I think that that creates um, a lot more anxiety and stress and overwhelm in the nervous system. And it's not necessary because the safe foods, um, which tend to be like usually carbohydrates and energy dense foods. Those are perfectly fine foods. Like, as you said, there's no such thing as a good or bad food. So I think a much more effective approach is working on adding in those foods that may be a little bit more, um, uncomfortable and scary. And, and many folks with ARFID have had negative uh, experiences in childhood that their nervous system remembers. So even if their logical, the logical side of their brain is like, okay, I know I need to eat these vegetables. Like there is actually a visceral, like physical response that's happening in their body. So I I always like to tell folks, like, it's, you're not, it's not all in your head, right? This is something your body is trying to, um, protect you from something in the situation. And so what we need to do is actually show your body that it is okay to eat these foods. It's not going to, um, uh, be dangerous. So that that's sort of like what the body has learned to learn to think over time, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. That totally makes sense. The body keeps the score. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yes. Yeah. And I love that you brought up safe foods and everything. So like I I had such a good conversation with someone the other day who was asking about safe foods. They're like, so safe foods are usually described as like really bland, really vanilla, like buttered noodles and stuff like that. And they're like, my safe foods aren't like that. Are they still safe foods? Like, but there was a huge cultural divide. This person wasn't white. And I was like, of course, like your safe food is going to depend on your culture. And just because autism has been very whitewashed, we think of safe foods as being very white foods, you know, Mm -hmm. but everyone of all cultures have safe foods. And I love that you said they tend to be carbohydrate based. It's not about being bland. It's not about being white. It's about the energy density really. Yes. And in your, I mean, that's such a great point that you mentioned everyone, everyone's experience is going to be different. So if your safe foods look different from someone else's, it doesn't mean that something's wrong with you. That doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong or anything like that. We all have, um, different experiences and different sensitivities that impact our eating and our relationship with food. That's awesome. Okay. I'm so glad that you brought up the safe foods. Um, I'm trying to think if there is anything else. Cause I know 
Um, autism and ADHD are not the only types of neurodivergence. Um, there are so many other types. Do you work with people with other types of neurodivergence or have you mostly noticed uh, ADHD and autistic folks? Yes, I've, me I've mainly worked with ADHD and autistic folks. And I think um, as it relates to binge eating, I think something that I also see often is um, folks with, uh, with ADHDers and autistic folks have um, tend to set rules around eating. Mm. So to like to have that like concrete, um, you know, eat at this time, eat this amount. And that is okay. You know, that's in, that can be helpful maybe in other areas. Um, sometimes though, like setting those rules around eating of like, I can only eat this amount or I have to eat at this time can actually trigger a scarcity deprivation response in the body. So your body thinks like, oh no, there's, I can only eat at this time or this amount. I might as well try to get it all in now while I have the chance. And so that can trigger a binge eating episode later on. And then for many people, they're left thinking, well, I don't have willpower. Like I, I mess this up. I have to go back to the rules. And so in their mind, you know, they, they often think that it's the rules that's going to keep them on track with their eating. And um, what many people don't realize is it's actually the opposite, that the food rules trigger a more out of control response with eating. That is so fascinating because especially for autistic folks, like we tend to love our rules and our routines. Um, so it's mm -hmm. interesting that the rules and routines may actually be causing a problem. So this is another instance of, you know, we need to embrace and accommodate our autistic traits, but at the same time, we need to recognize when they're not helping us. Um, and I think this is an area where sometimes rules and regulations aren't all that helpful. Yes, yes. And it, I think for many people it can be frustrating because in certain in certain areas of life, maybe setting those rules can be really helpful to, um, you know, have that consistently consistency, but when it comes to food, it can often backfire. And so there is this element of flexibility, um, that is really helpful when we're, when we're applying it to food and what many people realize that when they're on the other side of it, like once they've learned to let go of some of these food rules is they actually feel more in control around food. They're not thinking about food all the time they're not obsessing about food or their body image so um letting go of the rules like it's okay if that feels scary right now if that feels overwhelming and on the other side of it it feels much better yeah yes okay I love that I love that there's hope and that people who learn to let go of some of the rules actually start to feel in more control I think that's great I think a lot of autistic routines for me as an autistic person, like aren't necessarily about control, like the healthy ones, the ones that actually help me. Mm -hmm. Um, those ones aren't about control. Those ones are about comfort, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yes. absolutely. Um, and so it does the opposite to the nervous system instead of triggering it and sending it into fight flight survival. Um, it, calms me down. Like, it's like, okay, I know exactly what I'm going to do today because it's exactly what I did yesterday. And it feels really good to like be in that groove. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And a question that I often ask my clients is, is what you're doing coming from a place of control, like trying to control your eating, trying to control your body size, or is it coming from a place of self-care? This is uh, something that you enjoy doing. It's helping you regulate. So oftentimes we can then discover if 
a behavior or action is helpful or harmful for someone's health and well-being. Yeah, that's amazing. I, I love that you have that point of view because I think our nervous systems, they're always trying to regulate. And the things we do might not be very helpful, but it is our nervous system trying to regulate. So it's not like we're doing something unhealthy because we're bad or because we lack willpower or because of any of those like reasons. It's because our nervous system is freaking out and needs a little comfort and it will find comfort through any means necessary, even if that ends up being a little more destructive than we want it to be. 100%. Yes. I agree with you completely. And that's something that I, I love to share with people is that if you are binge eating, that's a sign your body's trying to protect you. It's sensing a threat from somewhere, whether that threat is you're not eating enough during the day, you're not getting enough total energy, or maybe that threat is more on the emotional side and you're feeling overstimulated and overwhelmed. And the binge is helping you to calm down. It's helping you to check out a little bit. Um, maybe you're experiencing very heightened emotions that you were taught to repress. You were taught that it wasn't okay to express that it wasn't okay to be different or be who you are. And so that binge eating can, can be the way to regulate the nervous system to just feel that moment of peace for a moment. So I love to share that with people. And I think it does bring a sense of relief of, like you said, oh, I'm not bad for doing this. And oh, my body is doing this because it's trying to protect me from something. Yeah. Okay. So you actually have a binge eating program, right? Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I do. So my signature program, my binge freedom program is for people who are tired of this diet binge restrict cycle and who are tired of hating their bodies and having a negative relationship with themselves and with food. So in the program, what I what I teach and walk you through is how to get out of this cycle so that you can start eating more intuitively and eating in a way that actually feels good in your body mentally and physically so that you can eat and enjoy and move on with your day without ruminating or obsessing about food in your body. Which sounds incredible. <laughs> sounds like <laughs> what everybody needs. Um, so information about that program will be in the show notes. So everybody go check out Erica's program because I guarantee some of you are listening and thinking, oh God, this is me. <laughs> um, if that's you, Erica can really help. Um, so I think the last question, well, before I get to that, where can people follow you? Where can people find you? Yes. Well, you can follow me over on TikTok and Instagram. My handle is at listen nutrition. So I look forward to connecting with you there. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So last question, question I ask everybody is what is one thing if, if somebody listens to this and they forget everything except for this one thing, what's one thing you want people to walk away knowing about food and neurodivergence? Yes. If you're struggling with food and disordered eating, eating disorders in any way, shape or form, it is not your fault. It is not a sign that you're doing something bad or wrong. It is your body trying to feel safe and that is okay. And it is possible to get out of this negative relationship with food that you have right now. It is possible to heal from that. And yeah, I I think the most important thing I want you to remember is that it's not your fault. 
I think that's really beautiful and exactly what a lot of us need to hear. So thank you so much for that. And thank you so much for your time. It was so wonderful chatting with you. Thank you, Megan. So great to connect and chat with you too. Yep. All right. I will see everybody next Saturday. As always, thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you give us a follow over on Spotify, leave review over on Apple Podcasts, and tune in next Saturday for another amazing episode.